The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Main Street Vegan. I wasn't sure I was even going to be able to do this show today because I was stranded. I was stranded one night at the airport, well, an airport hotel uh, at Shreveport, Louisiana, and that was just because of a ticket snafu. And then I was stranded a second night because of the weather. I don't think I have ever been stranded two nights in two cities, I was beginning to think, I'll never go home. I'll never see my dog again. You know, when you fall in love with your dog, it gets a little bit scary of how high on the list they become. But all is well. Uh, got back home and and had a really interesting adventure that I would like to share with you. I spent the weekend in Marshall, Texas. You've heard me talk about Marshall, Texas before. It is so remarkable. This is a city of 26,000 in East Texas that is getting healthy. The mayor and his wife went plant-based first, and now the town is doing it. It's really extraordinary, and the festival, the conference that they have every January, the New Year, New You, is, is just fantastic. They had all kinds of wonderful people, uh, cardiologist Baxter Montgomery, a couple of Fabulous chefs, Chef AJ, Miyoko Shinner, the cheese whisperer, vegan cheese, uh, of course, uh, Del Struff, who did the cookbook for Forks Over Knives, um, my, one of my favorite dietitians. I seem to have a lot of favorite dietitians. Um, um, Brenda Davis was there. So it was, it was just a great turnout. Now, there was only one thing that made me a little bit sad. There were a couple of phrases that I heard from more people than I wished I'd heard it from. Some people were saying, this is so hard. I don't think I can do it. And some other people were saying, I'm just so confused. Now, this particular conference is really about health. It is about eating about the healthiest diet that a lot of people have come up with, and they have scientific studies to show that it is uh, very, very healthy. So the recommendation was a diet that not only is free of animal products, but also has no oil, no sugar, no salt, and no processed foods. And as I listened, I thought, well, you know, that just might be the way to go. It's not really the way I go. My grandmother said confession is good for the soul, and I'm certainly not going to lie about that. 
But I listened very carefully. I learned a lot, got really inspired about exercise. I think I will never go a day or maybe even half a day without exercise because I see how that's really important. And in fact, I'm doing something different today. I am standing up and doing this show. A study just came out from Kaiser Permanente that looked at men, but it probably applies to women too. And it says that five hours in a chair doubles a man's risk of developing um, heart failure. So men who sat for five or more hours a day outside of work were 34% more likely to develop heart failure than men who spent two hours or less sitting. So I'm standing up. We'll see 10, 15, 20 years from now how much it did for me. But anyway, I left the conference all inspired, and then I got stuck in Shreveport. So the gentleman there who was driving the shuttle said, oh, there's an area not far from here that has a lot of restaurants. You'll be fine. Well, we went to the area, and it had a Taco Bell, a Wendy's, a fish restaurant, and a place called Dragon Buffet. So I did my quick mental calculation and thought, well, Dragon Buffet, that's Chinese. They have vegetables and tofu and things like that brown rice. So I thought, I'll go there. Truth is, I would have been better at Wendy's getting two baked potatoes with broccoli, no cheese and mustard, but didn't go there, went to the Dragon Buffet. At the whole Dragon Buffet, there was nothing that I could eat except string beans, mushrooms and orange slices. So the lady said that she would bring me broccoli with garlic sauce. So she brought a huge bowl of white rice And broccoli with garlic sauce that was just like grease. I mean, little broccolis swimming in grease. And she'd found some tofu that was rancid. I mean, you, you could smell it. It was, it was just really, she was trying hard and I appreciated it, but it just wasn't the kind of food that I would have been eating had I been closer to home and, and known where to go. And so I was thinking, you know, sometimes, You've just got to live life and do the best that you can. One of the things that I write about in my book, Fit From Within, is make the best choice from what's available. So yesterday, I thought I made the best choice from what's available. Turned out I didn't. But, you know, I live to tell. And and that night, I, I had an Amrita bar that's kind of like a, a Lara bar. The Amrita people were at the conference, so I just had the bar and a bottle of water and figured, you know, I'll be home the next day. Well, I wasn't home the next day because of the storm. So um, I had lunch at Chipotle at the Atlanta airport and figured if I don't get dinner, that'll, that'll do me. But some lovely, lovely friends in Atlanta, Star Pellerin and her husband, Dennis, Star is a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy, picked me up for dinner and took me to this charming place called Soul Vegetarian, which is run by a group called the Black Hebrews. And I've known of this group since the 80s when I lived in Chicago. They have a restaurant there as well. Really, really wonderful food. Just just delicious kind of soul food, but vegan style and, and healthy. So that was great. But it was really cold there in Atlanta. And I knew coming back to New York was going to be even colder. My bag had been checked through and would supposedly be here when I arrived, but I didn't know that for a fact. And I said to Star and Dennis, is there some place I could get like another sweater, you know, some clean underwear, just something. I'm really, really stranded. So we went to Walmart and it was so much fun. We got in about 10 minutes before the store closed. We just ran through and got the stuff that I needed. Star took a picture of me under the Walmart sign. I posted it on Facebook and got so many wonderful, fun, friendly, delightful comments from people. But somebody did see fit to comment, Walmart is part of the problem. Well, you know, I know that. I don't shop at Walmart ordinarily. We don't even have them in New York City because the unions have kept them out. But I understand that there are problems with Walmart. I also understand that it's the only place that some people have to shop. And last night, it was the place that I had to shop. And it was actually just delightful. I am so glad it was there. I didn't fill up a great big cart and buy all sorts of stuff because I understand we're talking about 
possibly garments made in sweatshops and things that when I have a choice, I absolutely would not support. But last night was different and I did the best I could. So when I think about what this woman felt the need to say, I think, well, yes, Walmart is part of the problem. Sugary soda is part of the problem. But when I am doubled over with motion sickness and somebody brings me a ginger ale or a 7-Up, that is a gift from God. McDonald's, part of the problem. But when I am driving on an interstate and the nearest bathroom is 57 miles away, unless I go into McDonald's and buy a bottle of water or a small coffee, I'm going to go support the McDonald's with that cup of coffee just because that's what's there. So I guess the word for the day from me is flexibility. And I'd love to hear from you all about what you think about some of these things. And we are going to come back after the break with two fascinating guests. We're going to be talking with Nick Cooney, author of Veganomics, who looks at us vegetarians numerically. Hmm. And also Brad Gruno, who is the founder of Brad's Raw Foods. Oh, he makes those yummy, yummy kale chips and is the author of a brand new book, Brad's Raw Made Easy. Stay with us. We'll have fun. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health? help heal the planet and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm so happy to have you here today and also so happy to be introducing my wonderful guest, Nick Cooney. He has written the most fascinating book. You know, I get a lot of books. I read a lot of books. But this one, I just keep quoting it to my husband. I always know that I'm fascinated by a book when I keep saying, William, William, listen to this. So Nick 
Cooney is the founder of the Humane League. That's a farm animal protection organization based out of of Philadelphia. He's the author of Change of Heart, What Psychology Can Teach Us About Spreading Social Change. His work for animals has been featured in hundreds of media outlets, including Time Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, and National Public Radio. He is currently the director of education for one of my favorite organizations on the planet, and that is Mercy for Animals. Welcome, Nick Cooney. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I, I'm, I'm honored and thrilled. This book, Veganomics, The Surprising Science of What Motivates Vegetarians from the Breakfast Table to the Bedroom, now, my first question is, how do they know this stuff? You've got all the results of all kinds of research studies about what makes vegetarians and vegans tick. Who cares this much about us? Yeah, well, good question. So this project started by uh, when I was simply doing some research for the work that I was doing promoting vegetarian eating, wanting to see what studies and what research were out there that I and others could look to and trying to shape our efforts and how to show the public the whys and hows of, of vegan eating. But as I started to dig deeper, I found that there were far, far more studies and research articles than I ever would have suspected. And by the time the research was done and I was in the process of writing this book, you know, I'd come across literally over 500 studies on vegetarians and vegans and vegetarian eating. And so these come from a variety of places. The majority come from academic journals. So obscure academic journals that probably people like you and I would, would never come across. Um, but there's actually a, a lot of research that's been done by professors and researchers and other academics on vegetarians and vegetarian eating. And of course, we also have some very interesting studies and, uh, and surveys really done by various media outlets and published in various places. So there actually is a huge amount of research out there. Uh, it's simply a matter of doing a good bit of digging to find it and to see how it can be useful to us as advocates of vegan eating. Well, and you seem to have dug through all of them. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, the the first conclusion that you come to that absolutely blew me away is that vegetarians do almost as much in terms of saving animal lives as do vegans, and that if somebody just feels that going all the way with this right now is just more than they can handle, if they would just stop eating chickens and eggs, or even better, chickens, eggs, and fishes, they would save almost as many animals as a vegetarian who saves almost as many animals as a vegan. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I myself am vegan and I've been vegan for about 14 years and certainly think that if we want to eliminate cruelty from our diets and get all the great health benefits of, uh, you know, from our diet that we can, that that's the way to go. But as you point out, there's certainly a number of people who might feel that they're not able to do that at this point. And one of the interesting things in looking at the research is seeing how many animals are spared and helped by people's different diet choices. So in America, the average American omnivore right now um, consumes or is responsible for the the life and the death of about 33 farmed animals each year. So we're not talking about wild animals like wild fish, but when it comes to farmed animals, about 33 farmed animals each year. Going vegan would, of course, spare those 33 farmed animals, but going vegetarian would actually spare almost as many. It spares about 31 farmed animals. And if you also would have cut out eggs as well, you know, you would be helping 99.97% as many animals as, uh, and reducing 99.97% as much suffering as someone who, uh, who went vegan. So even if we don't go for those who aren't willing to go all the way to vegan right now, simply cutting out meat can, can get you most of the way there. And as you point out, uh, for those who aren't even willing to go entirely vegetarian right now, there are certain animal products that are responsible for vastly more suffering than others. So if we break down the number of animals that the average American eats even further, um, we see that of the the 31 farmed animals that the average American uh, meat eater consumes each year, 28 of those are chicken. One of those are turkey, and one of those is a farm-raised fish, and the remaining are portions of a cow and pig. And so the bottom line is this. It's that nearly all of the animals that we as that Americans are eating are chickens. 
And so simply by cutting out chicken and replacing it with some other food, um, you know, any one of your listeners or any one of the, any member of the public can spare about 28 animals a year from the lifetime of the day-to-day misery that we know these animals are enduring on factory farms. So simply by cutting out that one product of chicken, we can reduce the vast majority of the suffering that we would otherwise be causing. And if we were able to cut out eggs and farm-raised fish instead, we'll be sparing over 96, 97% of the animals we would otherwise be consuming, over 96, 90% of the, 97% of the suffering we would otherwise be causing. So again, bottom line, for those who aren't willing to go vegan or aren't willing to go vegetarian, but do care about the cruelty that farm animals endure, the best place to start with changing your diet to help prevent that cruelty is really comes, really comes from cutting the chicken uh, out of our diets as much as possible, and after that, cutting out farm-raised fish and eggs as much as possible. That That is incredible. I want to go back because I think you had a little Freudian on one word, and I say this because I was on the Our Hen House podcast last week as a guest, and I said... Uh, LNG, I don't know what I called her, but instead of LNG White, the founder of Seventh Day Adventist, I gave her some other name. And you said if you cut out eggs and fishes instead, but I think you meant if you cut out eggs and fishes in addition to chickens, you would do so much more good. Is that- that, that's correct. Sorry for my uh, okay. speaking there. Just want to make sure because we're trying to save the chickens. You know, when you say that, you remind me of a 60 Minutes show I saw a thousand years ago, I, I think it must have been the late 1970s. It was an expose of chicken farming at that time. And I remember Mike Wallace asked the farmer, well, where do you get your chicken? And the farmer looked like him like he was completely nuts. And he said, are you kidding? I don't eat chicken. Now, this man was no vegetarian. <laughs> but what you're saying is that somebody like him who just doesn't eat chicken is doing a world of good. Yeah, that's so, really correct. You know, there's about about 9 billion animals that we raise and kill for food, of far, 9 billion farm animals that we raise and kill for food in the United States each year. And mm-hmm. the vast majority of those, you know, about, you know, the vast majority of those are in fact chickens. Um, of, of the land animals that we eat, you know, the cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, and so about 95% are chickens. So if Americans were to, to change their diet, even away from chicken and to, to other foods, that alone would reduce a, a large amount of animal suffering and would dramatically reduce the number of animals that we're raising and killing for food in our country. And the reason for that, you know, it's not that, that every meal we that Americans eat, they're sitting down to a plate of chicken. It's simply a function of the fact, and this is, you know, kind of a bit sad, but it is what it is. You know, chickens, like farm-raised fish, like turkeys, they're small animals. You, you know, people can get a few meals out of them, whereas animals like a, a cow or a pig are much larger and so, therefore, there are far fewer cows and pigs being raised, suffering, and being killed than there are chickens being raised, suffering, and being killed. Now, some people would probably say, but pigs and cows are our mammals. They're more like us. In other words, so they must be more important. What do you say to that? Yeah, it's very interesting. So one of the areas of research that I looked at in this book was some studies done on how much empathy that people have four different types of animals, including different types of farm animals. And what they found is, you know, probably not that surprising, what they found is that if we look at these different species, be it cows or pigs or chickens or fish or other, other species of animals, that there is kind of a hierarchy of concern. So people seem to have more empathy towards cows and, picken, uh, cows and pigs than they do to chickens and more empathy towards any of those animals than they do to fish. And that's been shown not just in surveys where people rate how much they care about each animal, but there was another interesting study where people were actually shown videos and images of animal, different types of animals in distressing situations. And the researchers measured the level of, of empathetic response that people had seeing animals in these conditions. And again, even on that very basic primal physiological level, people have more of a distress reaction to seeing pigs or cows in situations of abuse or harm than they do to seeing chickens in situations of abuse or harm. So it seems like we're, we are wired as human animals to, to care more about these larger mammal species like pigs or cows than we do about chickens, and certainly even more about chickens than we do about fish. And probably what it all stems back to is um, the fact that 
that those animals are closer to us in terms of genetic lineage. And you know, we uh, seem to be kind of wired to care more about those others, the more those others are genetically similar to us, whether it's our family, our relatives, um, you know, those in our kind of ethnic or peer group, we are seem to be wired instinctually to care more about people and, and others who are more similar to us on a genetic level. So maybe that's the reason that we care less about chickens than we do about pigs or cows. Uh, that may be our instinct, but of course, you know, as, as intelligent, compassionate, ethical people, we need to kind of take a step back and not just act on instinct. And so if we look at the way that these animals are treated, if we look at their intelligence, if we look at their ability to suffer, we see that all animals, be they cows, be they pigs, or be they, be they chickens or fish, these are all individuals who have really complex emotions and complex emotional lives who are a lot more like people than we, uh, we care to admit or, or maybe even have ever learned. They're all individuals you know, who want to live, who want to enjoy life, who have these complex intelligences, and they all suffer incredibly on factory farms. In fact, one of the things I did in writing this book is I went to, to um, agricultural economists, those who work for the ag industry, essentially, and also animal welfare experts at the Humane Society and elsewhere, to get their ratings on what farm animals or which farm animals they believed suffered the most on factory farms. And it was, in fact, chickens and farm-raised fish that were rated as suffering more, even more intensely than cows and pigs. And I'm not trying to minimize the suffering of cows and pigs. I certainly don't think we should eat them. We don't need to. We can be happy and healthy without causing them to suffer. Um, but when we're looking at the level of cruelty, it is important to note that not only do chickens and farm-raised fish suffer in far greater numbers, they often suffer to a greater degree. They live, on average, more miserable lives, which is why it's important then what, that when we're changing our diet, we're concerned not just with larger animals like cows and pigs, but that we also have that concern for not wanting to cause unnecessary suffering to chickens and fish and smaller animals. Yes. So when people want to make this change, the first thing they want to know is what do I put on the plate where the meat used to be? So a lot of people turn to veggie meats, which is kind of controversial, as you found in your book. And interestingly enough, at the conference where I was this weekend, that question was asked to a panel of us. And I was surprised at what differing and <laughs> kind of controversial answers came up. So what do we think about veggie meats, all of us vegetarians and others? Yeah, great question. So first thing I want to note is that vegetarian meat is actually, it's not a, it's not a recent phenomenon. It, you know, it's not just a product of our very modern, highly processed uh, food industry that we have right now. Vegetarian meat has actually been around since the late 1800s. It was initially created in the United States as a partnership between, between uh, John Harvey Kellogg, the uh, individual behind the Kellogg's brand of uh, cereals and other foodstuffs, and uh, uh, assistant uh, attorney, surgeon general at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and they kind of teamed up to create these vegetarian meats in order to provide a healthy, protein-rich food to Americans who might not have, at that time, been able to afford afford meat. And uh, John Harvey Kellogg, along with you know with, with others in his group, were just uh, they promoted vegetarianism on health grounds in general. So for them, this was a way creating vegetarian meats was a way to help other Americans eat more healthy, um, you know, eat in a different way, but still be able to have the tastes and textures of meat. So vegetarian meat has been around for a long time. And if we look at the diets of, of Americans today, and especially the diets of those who are trying to cut back on meat or, you know, go vegetarian or go vegan, vegetarian meats are critically important. I mean, if we look to the foods that people replace meat with when they start to replace meat with anything, uh, in terms of non-animal product foods, so once we get away from things like, like, like fish or eggs or dairy, the first non-animal product that they are most likely to replace meat with is vegetarian meats. And that's because, you know, hey, I grew up eating meat. Um, most, most of your listeners probably did as well. And so if we grow up accustomed to certain tastes and textures and flavors, we just crave those things. And so vegetarian meats are a way to satisfy that craving without the cruelty and without the negative health impacts of meat. And so it does seem like vegetarian meats play a really critical role in helping people move away from meat towards a more healthy diet. Now, maybe for a number of them, after several years of vegetarian eating, they drift away a bit from vegetarian meats and they start eating you know, other types of foods. But in terms of that transition period, it does seem like vegetarian meat plays a really 
a crucially important role in helping people make the switch. That is fascinating. Everything that you're saying, <laughs> just hang on your words. Now, you looked a lot at the different reasons why people go vegetarian, why people go vegan. And it seemed that the health motivation is far and away the strongest motivation. And yet we tend to see, maybe not scientifically, but just those of us who kind of look around and see, okay, who sticks with this and who doesn't? It's the people who have their hearts open to animals who stick with this for life and the health people sometimes do, sometimes not. So what do your findings show? Yeah, that, that's certainly the impression that I had prior to going into all this research. But actually, was a bit surprised to, uh, to see some of the data. The number one is, as you mentioned, if we look at the reasons that people go vegetarian, there's clearly two main reasons. You know, one is to help animals and prevent animals from enduring the cruelty they endure on factory farms. And the other is to, to benefit their own health. And those two seem equally important. If we look to younger audiences, animal welfare is more important. If we look to older audiences, health is more important. But overall, on average, those seem to be more or less equally important motivations for driving people to switch. But then when we look to those who are cutting back on meats, you know, so-called semi-vegetarians or flexitarians and meat reducers, those people are by and large motivated by health alone and not so much by concern for, concern for animals. Um, and so the the, um, the health um, the health reason is is a really important motivator that's driving many Americans to either cut out or cut back on meat. And when we look at recidivism, when we look at people who have been vegetarian in the past but later go back to eating meat, there's not a lot of data. But from the data that does exist, there doesn't seem to be a big difference between those who went vegetarian for ethical reasons and those who went vegetarian for health reasons. They seem to go back to eating meat at roughly the same rate. Now, one, one thing to note there is that, unfortunately, one of the main reasons people uh, do go back to eating meat sometimes is they don't necessarily approach vegetarian eating from a healthy manner. So they might cut out meat, but just start eating lots of French fries and soda and cookies. And all those things may be vegetarian or vegan, but that doesn't mean they're healthy for you. So one of the important things, I think, in promoting vegetarian and vegan eating and helping people continue to eat those diets is really showing them how to do it in a healthy way. It is an extremely healthy diet, um, it, but of course, like any diet, you just have to approach it in the right way. Well, my theory is that more people go back because they get a new boyfriend. Does that show up anywhere in the studies, what relationships do to cause people to go veg or leave? Yeah, you know, that, that has shown up that concerns with a partner or with a family who is not vegetarian can be very difficult for those who make the switch. And so it does indeed lead some of them to eventually kind of give up, at least for the time being, and go back to eating meat, unfortunately. At the same time, you also have the reverse effect. So you have a number of people who have decided to make that switch to vegetarian or vegan eating because one of their family members or their partner or spouse um, give up meat themselves. So it kind of is a two-way street in that regard. Yeah, that's that's very true. Well, I just have to ask, because some researchers have looked at this, and that is the romantic habits of vegetarians. How do we rank compared to meat eaters? Sure. So um, certainly, you know, I put this in the, in the title line of the book because it is something that I think grabs attention and, and is of interest. So let me say that the, the jury is still out. There's not firm science on this, but from the research that does exist, it would be safe to, to say that vegetarians may make better uh, lovers and better sex partners than omnivores. So before uh, you know, any of your listeners just start immediately questioning that, let me just share a couple of the research points as to why that might be the case. Um, so various studies have found that vegetarians are uh, more interested in, in pleasing their partner and more willing to do things that, that please their partner, and that's connected to a better sex life. Um, there's uh, some studies that found that vegetarians have a better body odor than meat eaters. So double-blind studies found that, that uh, females uh, rated males as more having a more attractive odor if they had been eating vegetarian for the past two weeks than if they had been eating a standard diet for the past two weeks. So in as far as body odor contributes to a good romantic environment, then uh, vegetarians have the advantage again. Uh, also, if we look to the physiological level, there's certainly various uh, negative health impacts that can come from meat consumption, like 
increased body weight, which some people find less attractive if it gets beyond a certain level. Um, certainly, there's erectile dysfunction issues that come from cholesterol consumption, and uh, animal-based products have, you know, virtually all of them have no cholesterol. Um, so there's some of these physiological aspects as well. And polls that have polled vegetarians about how their sex life was before and after making that switch have found that a majority of them said their sex life improved um, for a variety of reasons, both physical and also uh, kind of emotional and psychological. So while, you know, again, there's, there's certainly no conclusive research at this point, um, there is some indication that being, being vegetarian may actually uh, make you a better lover in the bedroom. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for all this incredible information. The author is Nick Cooney. He's brilliant. If you can hear him speak or catch anything that he's doing around the country, do yourself that favor. And by all means, pick up a copy of Veganomics, The Surprising Science on What Motivates Vegetarians from the Breakfast Table to the Bedroom. Thanks so much, Nick, for all you're doing for animals and the rest of us. And everybody else, stay with us through, thank you, through this break. And we'll be back with Brad Gruno of Brad's Fantastic Raw Snacks. Looking for the spiritual in your everyday life? Searching for meaning in the meaningless? Check out the book, Rants to Revelations by Reverend Ogenholder. Using his characteristic wit, humor, and storytelling, Reverend Ogan brings spiritual insight into practically every arena of human life. From issues of spiritual growth and family life to deep theological concerns about God and reality, he combines personal narrative with philosophical and scientific understanding to bring a fresh perspective into the life of faith in today's postmodern world. Pick up a copy of Rants to Revelations today from www.rantstorevs.com. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, lovely listeners. So happy to have you spend this Wednesday afternoon with us. Or if you're listening via iTunes or Stitcher or on the Unity Online Radio site, thanks for listening whenever you are out walking your dog or on the treadmill. Gosh, so many ways we can hang out together. I am so happy right now to be introducing my next guest, Brad Gruno. Brad is the founder and CEO of Brad's Raw Foods, popular raw food snacks. Well, I should say they are popular because they are the best darn snacks. Seriously, I believe that perhaps not single-handedly, but you have played a big, big role in why kale has become America's sexiest vegetable. 
This country, uh, this company is passionate about healthy living. And Brad has just written a brand new fabulous book called Brad's Raw Made Easy. The fast, delicious way to lose weight, optimize health and live mostly in the raw. Welcome, Brad. Thank you so much. Welcome. Well, I'm just honored to have you on today because I'm just, I eat your chips. <laughs> Those, uh, <laughs> Fantastic. Brad's raw kale chips. You know, I, I think sometimes we try lots of, of different things, and I've tried lots of different kale chips, but you have some kind of secret, and um, just keep at it because they're pretty fabulous. So tell us <laughs> your story. How did you get to be Brad the chip guy? Oh, boy, that is a story in itself. Um, you know, I, I was uh, always in the construction business my whole life and burying fiber optic cable throughout the whole United States. And, you know, of course, we had a collapse in the dot-coms. And, and I was in my mid-40s, and I was just ready, you know, um, you know, having to start my career all over again. And um, I guess I stumbled across the raw food diet is how it started. And um, I began to eat and understand more about food and what, vegetables did and about enzymes. And so I went on this 100% raw food diet for a couple of years about, this has been about almost six years ago, but running into the raw food community and never heard about a raw food diet. And it was a plant-based diet. So everything, fruits, vegetables, seeds, and nuts, but everything had to be raw. And uh, so I stumbled across this diet and I actually did it for a year. And the first three months, I had lost 40 pounds, and I felt better than I think I've ever felt in my life from it, you know, by, you know, eating living foods, and it was just everything going into my body was living. There was no processed food. There was no meats, and just losing weight, and, and I mean, skin cleared up, and just, I mean, I think I was more clear than I ever was in my life, and um, so I, that's how I you know, without even being in this food industry that I'm in now, but I, so I went raw, I lost weight, I felt great. And just organically over a two year period of me just making these snacks for myself and learning more about the raw food community and learning about more food and just in general, which I never really paid attention to my whole life. And, um, and that's how it all began. And really the food that I was just making for myself uh, almost four years ago, um, somebody said, wow, you ought to sell these chips that I'm making for myself. And I never even thought about it because I've never been in the food industry. And I came out of the construction world and one thing led on to another. I started doing farmer's markets and, um, and just everybody that would eat it. And these chips of mine, I guess just everybody knows it's all dehydrated. So nothing's baked or fried. Everything was just been dehydrated by basically air everything below 118 degrees, and it's mainly just to keep the enzymes and the foods where it's still living. And I would make these chips. And um, like, again, so two years go by, and I never even thought about getting into the business till um, somebody mentioned it. And so I, I, I ended up really trying to figure out what I was going to do next in life. And uh, I really, the only thing I really, you know, was comfortable with was construction in my life, burying telephone cable throughout you know, the United States is pretty much what I did my whole life. So it was just a big, complete change for me to go from that to, you know, to a farmer's market, basically. And everybody that would eat these chips that were just made from vegetables and seeds, I'd ground them up and dehydrate them. Everybody was just in awe about it, you know. And even though I was selling a little bag for $7, it really didn't, nobody really, um, complained that much about the price. Once I explained to them what was in it, you know, and everybody that I'm really finding out, you know, as I was talking to them, just wants to get healthier and they want a healthy snack. So well, that really you, built my confidence up, you know. Uh, I'll by, bet it did. <laughs> and, oh gosh, yeah. they're good. I mean, they are so good. Now, you at this point are 80% raw, more or less, uh, 20% other stuff. Is that right? Yep. After I did one year, 100% raw, I've kind of went back and I'm more like 80, 20, more, you know, about 20% more cooked foods. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm actually not even a vegan. Um, but you know, most of it, you know, most of it I am, but every now and then I do eat a piece of meat to be honest with you. And, um, it just works for me, I think. Um, and you know, by having some cooked foods along with the raw foods, cause it's very tough to eat a hundred percent raw. 
Well, it, it is. Now, we are Main Street vegans, so uh, <laughs> I'm not going to condone the meat. But I certainly understand, especially in the colder weather. I mean, I know some people who manage to be 100% raw, but I can't even imagine it just, you know, with, yeah. with winter time. But what you're finding is that even 80-20 works for you and you feel great. I do. I mean, you know, like in the winter, if I do want some, you know, some good vegetable soup or, you know, even now I do a lot of my meals that are out of from Vitamixes and blenders. And sometimes I would warm things up within a blender, you know, to, for soups and whatnot. Yeah, that's but, one of the great things about the high-speed blender. You can just leave your soup in there a while and you oh don't have God, to get out great, the pot. It? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I love that's it. Great. I really do. It makes it so now, much easier. You talk in your book about the science behind plant-based eating, and and what, what what's the basis of that? Well, um, more plant-based. I mean, the way I look at it. I mean, if this is what experienced by me just jumping into a, a a plant-based diet and what it's done for me. It had just made, you know, just completely changed the way that I felt, gave me so much more energy. I felt like it detoxed my body and everything changed to the best, you know, but I think it just has a lot to do with eating living food. It has a lot to do with the enzymes and the nutrition that you get from good organic vegetables. That's where we're getting our nutrition. Yes. You're really telling the story that happened to my husband as well, except he didn't discover how to make fabulous chips. But uh, a year ago, January, <laughs> so it, it has been just over a year, he went raw and lost, just like you, right about 40 pounds. And now he's not completely raw, but still a lot of raw. He got into right. a martial arts practice. And I'm not going to say his age, but he ain't 20 and he is doing <laughs> phenomenally oh it's so, unbelievable how i felt it really is you know the biggest I, you know i'm just so glad it ever happened to me because i look back on it now it's the best thing that ever happened to me by by going into 100 percent raw and losing that weight just to get the feeling of how good you can actually feel i think a lot of us don't even know how good we can feel you know you, i think that cooked processed foods and meats it kind of suppresses the, the way that we feel and we just we're not alive, you know, and yeah. I think by being alive and eating more live food and being able to do it, a lot of people will try to eat raw for a little bit, but their bodies aren't used to it, so they don't feel good and they don't go through that period. It does take two, three weeks of eating and kind of detoxing your body before you really feel the results from it. And a lot of people, it's, you know, they get scared, like, oh, my God, I'm getting headaches. Maybe I'm not doing the right thing, and they jump off the diet. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think by... Yeah. Forcing it's like to me. I look at it as just a cleanse, you know, right. by eating raw food. It's cleansing our body out. Then you can maybe make a better balanced diet by getting the processed foods out and then eating more process. I mean, more cooked foods. You know, now you have a real help for people in your book in that you include a personalized food diary. What's that about, and why can people use it? Well, I just thought you know a, a lot of people, even including myself, when I first you know, got on this diet. I was hanging around raw food restaurants because I didn't know anything about it. And I remember, I thank God I had the time, but I would be asking these people every single day, like, oh, how did you feel? And what should I eat? And I I just never knew myself because as you go raw, I feel you just need a little guidance. You need somebody to kind of hold your hand, you know? And um, so we just decided to help people that are on on a regular mainstream diet just to wean themselves off for like maybe a two week period we can help you on a day by day and set, you know, the, the the structure up for you and give you suggestions on what to eat to wean you on a complete raw food diet over a two week period. So we give you a day by day up until the point that we love for you to go a hundred percent raw for 30 days for a cleanse. So it's a day by day and we kind of, you know, give a lot of good ideas and suggestions on what to eat and how to prepare food. We give you 150 recipes to kind of pick from. And then And then on the last two weeks, because this is like a 60-day deal, the last two weeks, we just kind of put people more on like an 80-20 type diet. So it's just eating more raw fruits and vegetables. That's all that I really, you know, if people can just eat more fruits and vegetables throughout the day, to me, things are going to change tremendously if they can just help themselves with that. And, and, And that's and it, to me, it's just giving easy recipes like me. You know, I'm a single guy and I can make a green smoothie myself in a couple minutes and I'm good for 
four or five hours. What I do can you make put salads in salads and yeah. And I what can do make you put a lot in that salads. green smoothie? Oh, mine, I'm simple. I, I, you know, I use greens. A lot of times it's kale because I, I have so much kale here, but I think it's really good to mix your greens up, whether it's spinach, collards, kale, what have you. But my is kale. So I put water in it. I put kale in it. I grind it all up. And then I just put an apple, a pear, and two frozen bananas, and two dates. And this is in a full-size Vitamix pitcher. And that's what's in my kale drink. And, you know, a lot of times I'll drink that from the morning till lunchtime. You know, just that whole pitcher, I'll drink that every day sometimes. Mm, that sounds delicious. So. And it also sounds really satisfying. I know in the old days, the raw people would talk about just eat fruit, nothing but fruit in the morning. And so many of us have damaged our pancreases. We have some trouble yeah. with sugar metabolism. And just yep. fruit by itself is difficult. But when you've got all those greens with it, yep. you can just yep. get through the morning so nicely. Well, that I don't know. I just feel good. those those yeah those greens are you know the most you know the, probably the most important thing in my eyes is just eating a lot of different greens and you know um, and and it's the balance like you said you can't eat all fruit I, I'm not all about these fruititarians too and I think fruit's great you know just like vegetables are and some you know raw seeds and nuts and we kind of combine all that I think it's just a, a good well balanced diet. I mean, well, well I you look work, great. I mean, I've, me. I don't, never... I've not met you, but I've seen pictures of you. You you look extremely fit and handsome, and you sound very oh, energetic. Now, one of the things <laughs> that the literature on your book is promising, yeah, it says you'll eliminate toxins. I get that in the raw diet. Eliminate excess pounds, no question about it. It also says we'll eliminate junk food cravings. Now, how does that work? My thing is that... I just felt I got addicted to a lot of foods when I was just on a Main Street diet. And I think we, we get addicted to it, whether it's meat, whether it's, you know, salty snacks, whether it's whatever it is, we, we, we tend to get addicted to it. And I feel once you kind of clean your body out and you put the proper nutrients in it through the proper <clears throat> vegetables, <clears throat> that your body after a while does not crave that food. I feel that when the body doesn't get really what it needs, it's going to keep craving more. Give me more, give me more. But if you put the right things in your body and they're getting enough nutrients, then I think your body after a while, when you get used to it, I lost all my cravings that way. I don't, I, I, I didn't crave that, you know, um, uh, just everything when it, just once I got out of it and gave myself a good 30, 60 days, of not eating it and putting the nutrients. I just lost the cravings for a lot of that food. And I think it's had a lot to do with the nutrients and my body's getting what it needs. That is so interesting. Swami Sachidananda, who was came to this country in, I guess, the 1960s, one of the first yogis, he talked about caffeine, nicotine, and the purines in meat, and that they just love one another. And that if you're smoking or if you're <laughs> drinking a lot of coffee yeah. or if you're eating meat, it will just call for those other things. So when we talk about the kind of program you're talking about, you just get rid of everything that's addictive and you bring in all that color and life and energy. Well, it, it sounds like just your subtitle of your book, The Fast, Delicious Way to Lose Weight, Optimize Health, and Live Mostly in the Raw. So really quickly, we just have a couple of minutes. But in your bio, it says that not only did you eradicate your high cholesterol, which we know about is going to happen on, on any kind of good plant-based diet, but it said you also got over insomnia and depression. How did that take place? I think just organically putting my, again, just giving my body really what it needed. You know what I mean? I, I, I think when it just happened, when I lost the weight and, um, you know, I went through, a, you know, a failed business and, you know, in, in, in a bad, worst economy and I, I wasn't feeling good. I lost every every dollar I had. And I think that, you know, just by putting the right foods in my body, my body knew what to do. And I think, you know, as I became feeling better, it, it just worked in my brain as well. You know what I mean? I just became feeling better from that. I think just the, the you know, insomnia, now that's just, again, just eating good foods and not putting toxic things in your, in your body. I just started to become and getting the best night's rest ever, you know, um, it just had to do with me with just putting the right nutrients and right food in my body and stop abusing my body. It just, it was an overload working, trying to digest all this 
bad food that I was used to. And I think it was just like it was finally relaxed afterwards. <laughs> sounds sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> sounds like <laughs> sounds like that sweet green smoothie with the bananas and the dates. I guess. The, I mean, just the, give her. Yeah, it's kind of simple to me. Just give our bodies what it needs and feed it, you know, feed it the right stuff. Now, the book is Brad's Raw Made Easy, The Fast, Delicious Way to Lose Weight, Optimize Health, and Live Mostly in the Raw by Brad Gruno. And the the food company, Brad's Raw Foods, it's those kale chips everybody loves the most, but I guess you have lots of products, and we can find out about that. What's your website? It's bradsrawfoods.com, and we have everything there in our own store. And it kind of, you know, not all stores carry everything, but we have chips. We have, the, the, you know, the leafy kale. We have dehydrated onion rings. We even have pet snacks, vegan, you know, organic pet snacks now. That oh, that's vegan. exciting. Yeah, well, so we have a lot of things. And the book is sold. So everything's sold there on the website. You can learn a lot of things. We have a lot of videos, a lot of information there for you. Terrific. Well, we'll just have to all drop by and visit. And maybe your next book can be about business because it sure sounds like you've turned everything around in a beautiful way. We're all about these fabulous plant-based businesses changing the economy and changing the world. Thank you so much, Brad Gruno, Brad's Raw Foods, Brad's Raw Made Easy, and everybody else. Thank you so much for being part of the Main Street Vegan family. If you love us, give us a great big old five-star review on iTunes. Gosh, I'd be grateful. Take good care, everybody. God bless and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you, things may happen to you. But the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. From mayhem to miracle, from disaster to divine, Rams to Revelations Radio finds the opportunities for spiritual growth in everyday moments. 
Drawing from current headlines to pop culture, Reverend Ogan blurs the lines between the sacred and the profane, bringing meaning to the meaningless, with guests who are dedicated to transforming the world for good. Join Ogan live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central for Rants to Revelations Radio. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm. 